11 o'clock on the morning of October the 28th, 1988, the municipal band of the city of Barcelona strikes up a familiar Republican air as veterans of the International Brigades who fought for the Republic in the Spanish Civil War between 1936 and 1938 reassemble in the Rambla de Carmelo area of the city to attend the inauguration of a bronze sculpture based on the story of David and Goliath which had been commissioned to their memory, mainly by subscription from writers, artists and supporters in North America. The International Brigades were formed in 1936, the suggestion of the Soviet Union and its allies to counter the help been given then to Franco by Hitler and Mussolini, and soon a stream of volunteers from the United States, Canada, Cuba, Ireland, Great Britain and most European countries began to arrive in Spain to form five separate brigades. For two years they fought bravely, suffering huge losses, but were finally withdrawn in November 1938 following the Munich Agreement and the Non-Intervention Pact. On the 15th of November 1938, the surviving members of the brigade proudly marched to the streets of Barcelona for the last time, with the parting words of La Passionaria ringing in their ears. We shall never forget you, and when the olive tree of peace puts forth its leaves again, mingled with the laurels of the Spanish Republic's victory, come back. And so they did come back, 50 years later, for a weekend of celebrations. Now in their mid-70s and upwards, they gathered beside the 20-foot sculptor as a hot sun blazed down. Their bodies now may have been more frail, but for the great majority, their resolve had not been weakened. Brigade veteran Jim Brewer from Wales. Well, I was here on the final parade 50 years ago, and there was a vaster crowd of Spaniards. But I suppose now, you see, it's, it's a bad choice, isn't it? A Friday morning, and they're all at work. But uh, we are glad to see that up anyway, to, uh, to record our activities here in support of the Republic. And uh, it's gratifying that they are not forgotten. Right. Now, you actually marched in the final march. Well, I, uh, some men are born important, some achieve importance, and some have importance thrust on them. And it was thrust on me that morning by George Fletcher, the battalion commander. I was put in command of the colour party. And uh, so the only people who preceded the colour party, myself, another Welshman, and John Pete were the presidential guard of the Guardia Salto and the band, who were playing the sort of march that I would associate with the light infantry in the British Army. And if we had kept that pace, uh, we would have been through the band, and there would have been chaos, because the beats were so fast that these chaps were doing this elaborate drill in front of us. So I said, right, well, take your time, boys, slow down. And then uh, I, uh, I said, I'm going forward four paces and take your time from me. And uh, we should, then the chaps at the back will have a chance of marching. Otherwise, they'd be running. And uh, it went off with great dignity. Very few interruptions from the charming senoritas who were lining the route. We all got, got the odd kiss, so they came and kissed the banner, which is there now. 
turned into one of these banners that are carried where you've got two men holding the stakes and the couple holding ribbons. So they couldn't be paraded as colours anymore. But it is a magnificent banner presented to us by the people of Barcelona. Right. And La Passionaris, can you recall her speech? Obviously, it is, it is now very well known in print. Is, can yes. you actually remember it or making it? Well, but I remember that. And I also remember listening to her after the Battle of Brunetti, where she came up. Because uh, we took a bashing there. We gave as good as we got, I suppose, but it was a, a fierce and bloody battle. It was probably but the last of the trench warfare wars, the Spanish Civil War. The, the your, your war that you fought in was the last of the trench type of warfare. Oh, yes. And it was very tough. Well, up to, up to a point, you see. Uh, really, we should have been an army of uh, mobility but it would have been on foot and uh, of guerrilla warfare because we weren't armed to take this uh, trench warfare effort. And every time we did, it was disastrous. The international brigades were almost used as kind of stormtroopers in that war when you read the history of it and you were right in the middle of that. Yeah. Well, it's what we'd come for. We knew. Any one of us who had any sense at all knew that it was the second round of the Second World War. Abyssinia was first, and if they would tolerate that, they'd tolerate things nearer home. Did you yourself have any military experience before you came out? A lot of, a lot of the volunteers had no experience at all. I was one who didn't. No. And yeah, my only military experience had been in the coal mines. No. And that's as hard as anything going. And how, how, how many weeks' training did you have before you were, you were put into the battle? Oh, well, training was farcical. And we, we learned in, uh, in the line of action. We went into... Uh, we went up to the Arama first as infantry, and then I was one of the lucky ones who were drawn out to join an anti-tank battery. And we had six days' training on the guns, and we took them up to the Arama. And uh, we learned something there. You suffered very heavy losses, didn't you, in those weeks? Uh, your oh, yeah. yeah. Terrific. But there you are. I mean, what do you expect? If we, I mean, our heaviest armament were these three guns to the 15th Brigade. Yeah. Did you feel in any sense... Uh, let down in the sense that you weren't armed better, they didn't get better cover at the well, time? Well, good or... God, no, we knew. We knew that there was a paucity of arms and that it was being stopped, located in the Mediterranean, and the French border closed. So the Republic was getting very little support. And as a legitimate government, it should have. Also present in Barcelona was a relatively large contingent of veterans from the American Abraham Lincoln Battalion, which had lost 800 of its members during the war. Veterans like Sam Walters, who was only 19 when he arrived in Spain in February 1937. We came through France and we crossed the Pyrenees. Yeah, we arrived in late February and uh, were taken to the town of Figueres, which is sort of a staging area for the international brigades coming into Spain. Uh, there were assembled at that place about uh, oh, uh, delegations from 
whole 40, 40, 40, 50 different countries. Could I ask you, had you any military experience before coming out? No, no, none, none at all. I'd never fired a gun before coming to Spain. And did you get any military training when you arrived? Uh, about a few weeks, a few weeks. Uh, I was a machine gunner. Uh, we had a, a machine gun of World War I vintage, German Maxim that had somehow ended up in the Russian and the Russian uh, army, or, well, uh, what do you call it, the uh, Russian guerrilla army, you know? So and you found yourself catapulted into war almost on arrival? Yes, almost, almost so, right. Was it something that, that how different was it from what you had expected? Was it, was it, it was pretty tough fighting at that time? Yes, tough and very frightening. Frightening, because uh, I'd never been, I'd never been in, uh, in any kind of a uh, war or military situation before. I was only 19 years old. Um, and uh, uh, fortunately, though, uh, when we got to Harama, there was a lull in the fighting. And so we had, a, we had about a month to uh, adjust to a trench, trench warfare. Uh, before the act actual violent action broke out. And um, then, obviously, the fighting uh, resumed and you were in, in, involved in it again. Yes, we were at Harama, and, uh, and uh, we lost quite a few men. Uh, in fact, uh, by the time the Harama action was over, we had, uh, uh, we had found that of two battalions of Americans, there was just enough to make one battalion. Uh, that is, we had two battalions there. We had the George Washington Battalion and the Abraham Lincoln Battalion. And uh, after the Haram and Brunetti campaign, we merged them into one battalion. We'd lost almost half, half, half our personnel. Looking back on it now, 50 years later, I mean, obviously, it's, 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 it must have uh, still imprinted itself upon your mind, that, that, that trauma almost, of fighting. And that well, that's just fighting. what the word was for me. It was sort of a, a, a trauma. Uh, and it took me many years to... Uh, to kind of digest the experience and and uh, and uh, uh, look at it in a terms of historic perspective, you know, because I was so personally involved. Uh, but I'm just about beginning to see it in a, in a kind of a, uh, the trauma has uh, of course uh, gone, and uh, I'm beginning to see it in a, in a, in a more realistic way and. Uh, something I never regretted doing, actually, although I did have uh, many fears and, uh, and uh, perhaps even regrets at the time for finding myself there, but uh, I never, we all did, somewhat. Sam Walters, and just as the ceremonies were about to get underway, I met with one of the mid-European volunteers, Eric Clement from Austria, who now lives in Liverpool, and who first gave me his reaction to the brigade's reunion. In one way, very beautiful. But in the other way, we are getting fewer and fewer. After all, we are now in the 80s and, you know, getting a bit senile, to be frank. Yes. Have you met some people whom you haven't met for many years? Yes, uh, one or two I haven't met for exactly when I left the concentration camp in, in France. And uh, what year was that, do you remember? See, 1939, when we lost in Spain we were driven into France and put in the concentration camps there, but I was lucky. I left before the gas chambers were installed, and I had the opportunity to go to America, but I was stopped in England because I'm a foreigner, obviously, 
and uh, England went into the war, 1939. Then I spent two years in Canada in an internment camp there. But finally I got out, got married, and then I joined the army, not in desperation because I got married, <laughs> because I wanted to fight against the Germans. My mother, my mother died in a concentration camp in Germany. And while I was in the British Army, I was, uh, had the opportunity, when the Americans liberated Buchenwald, to go all the way from Hamburg to Buchenwald. I was absent without leave, and I found my father still alive there. So that that's was my story. extraordinary story, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Could I bring you a little bit back further now? Just before you came, why did you come to Spain initially? Initially? Yes. When the fascists took over in Austria in 1934, we had fights there. We lost about 1,000 men and women, and then thousands were interned, imprisoned. My father, my mother, my brother, they went all into prison. I was lucky, I, I never got caught. But then, when the collapse came of the Socialist Party, I was a socialist then, I started to rebuild the Socialist Party in Austria. But when it was impossible for me to carry on, I went to Spain to fight in Spain. Finally, we're now looking at, in the distance here, and a few yards away from us, there's a lot of uh, speeches going on, in a sense, do you feel, how do you feel today? Well, apart from feeling hot and tired, because I travelled the whole night, uh, it's always a uh, lift-up, if you find. The only thing which makes me sad is that, that we are getting now, we are dim diminished, obvious, because I am now 78, and all the others are 70, 80, so... It's, it's, it's a losing battle we're fighting now. And looking back at your life now, how was it? did you feel that you have achieved something, that you, you fought here, you fought in the Second World War? Well, so, sometimes I think about it, but you see, what happened is this, if I wouldn't have fought against the Nazis, if I would have stayed in, in Austria, being me, I would have been sent either in the death squad in the German army, or I would have been sent in a concentration camp. The prospect of meeting my father there didn't entice me to look forward to that view, yes. you see? So I'm, 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 I'm glad. Yes, in, you actually liberated way. your father then, in a sense, did you? Well, yes, uh, I was offered by the British uh, Lieutenant Colonel, who was our unit commander, that I can take him to the unit and can stay as long as he wants, but he wanted to go home. He was in Buchenwald and he wanted to go home to Austria. At that time, he didn't know that our mother, my, his wife, my mother, was killed in the Ravensbrück in the concentration camp. Yes. So, and to make no illusion, I'm not a Jew, and you were killed whether you are a Jew or not, if you were against the Nazis. The speeches at the inauguration of the sculptor were in Spanish, Catalan, French and English, and in welcoming the veterans of the international brigades back to Barcelona, the mayor, Pascal Maragall, asked for peace and reconciliation. But the most emotional part of the ceremony came at the end when, with everyone almost visibly wilting under the hot sun, with clenched fists the veterans acknowledged the brigade's banner and lustily joined in the singing of the Internationale. Following the ceremony, as the various groups exchanged greetings, 
I came across a veteran with the name Joe Byrne of Liverpool, handwritten on his jacket. I was born in Ireland, but I was brought up and educated in Liverpool. But I've been in Oxford for 45 years. <laughs> was, it <Right> du- <laughs> was it Dublin? I was born in Dublin. Yeah. I was the youngest of 12, lived in Rathmine. You know the old bottle tower? Still there. My family lived in there. Many years ago, my, my father's father lived in that bottle tower. Yeah. And uh, as a young man growing up, politically then, how did you get involved in the, politically in the, in the struggle? Uh, well, I think what really made me start thinking about politics <laughs> was when I was at school in Liverpool, we used to walk out to Seaport Beach. Uh, and I was always amazed by the amount of fruit and stuff that was washed up at the high water mark. And at the school I was in, there were 60 kids in each class, most of them on bare feet, all suffering from malnutrition, from uh, what they called it, uh, consumption at that time, and ringworm. And this fruit was being thrown away out of the ships because they couldn't get the price at the fruit market in Liverpool. So they dump it rather than give it to the hospitals or the, to the required people. So I think that was, I must have been only 12 or 13 years of age. And a brother-in-law of mine who happened to be a, a founder member of the Communist Party, when I, I asked for explanation, he was only young himself, he's only about 20, but he explained to me how this sort of system uh, is like that. If they can't get the price, the same with any other commodity. Like what we have at the moment, all these mounds of food all over the world, with all the third world crying out for food, it's the same sort of thing. And it's from that you develop a philosoph- uh, political philosophy. I didn't fire a shot in anger myself because we were taken prisoner on the first, the first time up in the line. And when you went into battle, what, 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 what front were you involved with? On the um, uh, Catalonia front, at uh, uh, Calatetti we were captured, just the other side of Gandesa. And uh, there were three quarters of the British battalion captured, together with uh, countless Spaniards, and all together about 700 prisoners taken. Can I, can I bring you back to actually to, the, to that day, in fact, when you were, you were all captured? What actually happened? What were the circumstances of that? Can you remember that? I can, clearly. Because I say we were all very green and we were marching along uh, from from Gandesa into Calatetti, as far as I remember, about 10 or 12 kilometres. And we'd been marching for some considerable time. And we were ordered to stop and have a rest, which we did. And we all stacked our rifles together and put our feet up. Next thing we knew, there was three tanks came down the road. The drivers put their hands up, salute camaraders, we said, thank God that ours, you know. Anyhow, a few minutes later, when we'd all relaxed again, another ten tanks came down, swiveled round the road, said, manas arriba, put your hands up. They weren't, they weren't our tanks at all, they were complete ambush, complete ambush. And we knew something was wrong, because when we were walking down that road, there was ammunition, hand grenades, all sorts of things being thrown away. Which was such a contradiction because we couldn't get a hold of any of this stuff. And it was all thrown away on the side of the road. So as green as we were, we knew there was something radically wrong. And we walked right into it. I don't know to this day who was responsible for it. There was obviously sabotage along the line somewhere or lack of communication. Another English-based veteran present in Barcelona was Dubliner Bob Doyle, one of the prime organisers of the Irish delegation. I spoke to him on the following day at a crowded reception held in the palace of the Generalitat. Bob Doyle was also one of the group who had been captured at Gandesa with Frank Ryan 
and he recalled for me the reasons why he had come to Spain. I was belong to the Communist Party, but before that I was belong to the 1st Battalion of the IRA. When Kit Conway, my roommate in Dublin, was killed after three months in the Battle of Arama. Kit was a great leader, and I followed the Kit Conways, the Frank Bryans, the Charlie Donnellys in my efforts to get to Spain. And I had to go through a very devious route in order to get there, because Cora Hughes, de Valera's niece, for some reason or other, she didn't want me to go. Perhaps she considered I was too young, but I was determined in getting there, and I did get there. And you met up with Frank Ryan. Was Charlie Donnelly had been killed at that stage before you had arrived? Had he? Yes, I wasn't in action at all with, uh, with yes. Charlie Donnelly, but I was captured with Frank Ryan on the 31st of March, 1938, by the Italian mechanized division of the Black Arrows, Las Flechas Negras. And were you interned in Burgos, in the, in, in outside Burgos? Yes, I, we were interned in the concentration camp of San Pedro de Cardenia, 10 kilometers from Burgos, which is today a tourist attraction, not because of us, because in all Spain they've done everything to obliterate any mention of concentration camps. And in fact, I have the key of that concentration camp with me at this present moment. And in the relative peace of the beautiful Plaza San Jaime, a short time later, I renewed acquaintance with Peter O'Connor of Waterford, a veteran of the 15th International Brigade who had survived some of the fiercest fighting of the war. Well, I was uh, on to the Harama front and uh, the Battle of Brunetti. And afterwards, I was the only man alive in, in one uh, on the Brunetti front, what the only Irishmen left, like either were they were either dead or wounded, and I was only the only one there. But after the Battle of Brunetti, Frank Ryan decided to send me home, and I protested very strongly because I felt like a deserter. But he said he insisted, and it was an order. But I said if it was an order from him. As everybody knows, Frank Ryan was the commander of the Irish in Spain. So he sent me home in October 1937. And he, he told me that to do my best to explain to the Irish people or anybody who I met the true situation in Spain and the true happenings in Spain and what was really going on there. So since that time, I did my best when I did go home and any person I met. I tried to explain the position to them, the true position, especially the, the attitude of the Catholic Church. And, and uh, did, 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 was there much hostility to you when you came home, or would the people accept you? Well, strange as it seems, I've, I met very little, very little uh, opposition to me. And I think I've I repeated this story several times, that one man who I thought was friendly, well, my friend, Walking along the street in Waterford about two days after arriving home, I approached him to shake hands with him, and he stepped off the side path and blessed himself when he was passing. <laughs> that was that summed it all up for you, did it? That summed it all up. But otherwise, I haven't. I didn't meet one person who really was uh, hostile to me, and anybody who I spoke to, and they listened to my what I had to tell them about Spain and the position there. Do you think it's all worthwhile? Now, you, you yourself, as you say, you 
you fought in the toughest battle of Arama when most of your comrades died. You had Charlie Donnelly and many of the others. Walter oh, Manor. Charlie Walter. Donnelly. Charlie, there, there was a man. He was physically he wasn't he was insignificant. But what a brain he had. And what an impression he would make to anybody who met him. I had a great regard for Charlie Donnelly, and my one regret was that I, during the Republican Congress in London, I was in the Republican Congress, and so was Charlie, but I never met him in London. I can't understand that. And I, I always regretted not meeting him before we went to Spain. The only time I did. But when, when he got killed in Harama, his body wasn't found for about nine days afterwards. And three ex-members of the Republican Congress Johnny Power and his brother Paddy and myself carried his body down. I examined his body. There were rumours said that he was shot in the head. He wasn't. He had deep wounds in the right side and the, and the right arm. I, haven't, I didn't see any wound or any, any marker on his head, or in his head, in fact. But he was a great, great comrade. And you knew him well before he got shot, obviously. Oh, yes, I did know him, because the time a decision was made by a section of the Irish to know whether we would join the British Battalion or go with the Abraham Lincolns. But Charlie Donnelly, Paddy, Johnny Power and Paddy and myself, we fought tooth and nail uh, to stay with the British Battalion because we wanted to show that we had something in common with the Irish, with with the British working class people who are fighting fascism and they've had a common cause to fight together and thereby not alone fight to defeat fascism but help to that we could show that we could be united in the fight for, against British imperialism later on. And we fought tooth near to be sent with the British Battalion. And at that time of course most of the Irish lads were already with the British Battalion, including Frank Ryan and Frank Edwards and uh, Joe Monks, Addict Diggs, people like that. But we wanted to be with the wars. But unfortunately, the vote went against us. But that's not, that's not uh, sending, saying anything derogatory against the... the, the I the got two American. accounts of it. One man told me, in fact, that he thought that some of the Irish felt that they were fighting against people who were black and tans. And another account I read saying that that the Irish felt they didn't get any recognition for fighting in Cordoba uh, in the British Battalion. Was that any, was well, any truth? Any well, I, I, I wouldn't know anything about that because I wasn't, I wasn't in that section of the front at all. One of the most enjoyable functions of the weekend took place on Sunday morning at the Palacio de los Congresos where the veterans were entertained at a concert which included a choir and several Catalan singers and groups and where Catalan nationalistic fervour was very much in evidence. The concluding speeches may have been more than a trifle long, so much so in fact that it prompted a humorous aside from one veteran who said that it was tougher going than at the Harama front, but there was always the refuge of the parterre it was here that I spoke to Dublin-born Morris Levitas, who gave me his reaction to the reunion of the brigades. Oh, I'm very moved by it, and I've met a lot of people that I haven't seen for a long, long time. And um, uh, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed by the fact that this year 
not so long after Franco was gone, after all is said and done, and not so long after the military have attempted to, to, to uh, stage a comeback, that it's possible in uh, the city of Barcelona to meet so many people and to be accepted and, um, well, the hospitality has been good too. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed that such a, an event can take place in Barcelona at this time. Uh, do you feel, in one sense, fulfilled by what you tried to do 50 years ago? Well, uh, this is a point that I was asked at, at, a, at another, another interview when someone asked me about uh, when I realized the futility of the struggle in Spain. And I said to him, I don't believe that the struggle in Spain was futile. I think that some of the speakers yesterday, uh, at the uh, meeting yesterday, I think that when they said that the battle in Spain was the first battle of the Second World War, I think they were absolutely right. And I think that the three years that the, that the battle lasted in Spain, uh, for all the great suffering and sacrifice that the people of Spain made, and that the uh, international uh, supporters of Spain made, that that was vindicated in as much as, um, in as much as countries like um, Britain and uh, countries like the Soviet Union were able to use that breathing space of three years and were able to um, organize and prepare for the Second World War. And I think the outcome of the Second World War, in very large measure, is due to the war that took place in Spain from 1936 to 1939. And so um, I feel vindicated rather than fulfilled, you know, in the part that I played in this. Time on the Paseo de Gracia, one of the principal streets of Barcelona, where a local pipe and tambourine school band playing the traditional music of Galicia, performing outside the majestic hotel, not alas for the veterans, but for the festival Gastronomica. It was here that I spoke to another American veteran, Bob Taylor, who came from what he termed a very reactionary family. But 1927, there were two big occurrences. One, Lindbergh flew the Atlantic, and the other was second when Manzetti was put to death, and that was the start of my becoming a radical. Okay. Now, prior, just prior to Spain, if you remember, there was a great upheaval in the trade union movement, and the CIO had come into existence, and that's what I was doing. I was organizing for the CIO. I was up in a town called Lowell, Mass, and I was organizing what was known as TWOC, Textile Workers Organizing Committee. Also, I had a, a background of going to a school called the Solomon Lewinberg Intermediate School, and I was appalled at anti-Semitism at this time. And, but because of that contact with the Jewish community, I probably knew more than the average American about uh, what was taking place in Nazi Germany. Now, there was only one way to fight fascism. To me, that was with a gun, see? Now, I had taken a pledge in high school called the Oxford Pledge. Were you familiar with the Oxford Pledge? That one would never go to war under any circumstances? And yet here I was in January of 1937 going to Spain to fight. 
did, did anyone ask you or did you make this decision on your own? No, no, no. Who went with you? The, the Communist Party obviously was behind the organizing, but I was not aware of it until later. And I went over to Spain from Boston, Mass., and we had some great Irish Americans go over. Paul Burns, who was the company commander, Charlie O'Flaherty, one of the three O'Flaherty brothers that went to Spain. Sure. Uh, and it was uh, almost like uh, it was inevitable that the Irish who were already there, after their ranks had become decimated and there were just a few, they should move in with the Americans and form the, uh, the Irish section. Uh, and. Um they already had been, they had been fighting there, so in fact you, you joined oh, them. Oh, this is what amazed me. When I saw the material I just mentioned about, that we, we got from, uh, I guess Doyle you said, said, how many, how many Irish had died in 1936? And remember, we had got there in 37, and I, we were completely unaware of the number of Irish comrades who had been killed up to that point, and here Doyle had this beautiful honor scroll with the names of the fallen comrades and the dates that they had died. And you were absolutely thrown in at the deep end, weren't you? Because, in fact, the Battle of Arama had been on. And oh, yeah. I was wounded at Arama uh, the 27th of February. Uh, and the comrades had dropped down all around us. I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty devastating. And yet, they stopped the fascists. They stopped them on that Valencia Highway. They, they could not advance beyond that point. What, what Irish uh, men do you remember from who were with you at that time? Well, it was Peter O'Connor, uh, Frank Ryan. Uh, there was a, there was, a, uh, this sounds queer, and I don't know if my memory has failed me, you know, that's 50 years ago. But uh, when I was wounded, it seems to me that two comrades, one by the name of Ireland, who was English, and one by the name of English, who was Irish. And I don't know if that's possible, but that's my memory of two comrades who helped me to get to the hospital and so forth. What did you do with your own life when you came back? Well, I was harassed by the, by the FBI, just terrible. I was called a premature anti-fascist. They wouldn't take me in the Army. I, uh, I was very fortunate that I got a job, and the man who, who hired me was a good civil libertarian, and he would not listen to the FBI. His argument was, "This man has a life of his own. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have you put notions in my head about him. He's doing a good job for me, and I'm gonna keep him. And I worked for him for 41 years." <laughs> Meanwhile, on the street outside, as the band still played and waited in vain for their gastronomic luminary to arrive, I spoke to another American veteran, Ed Lending, and a surprise as he offered a dissenting view on the brigade's reunion, as his anti-fascist views were now more than matched by his antipathy toward Soviet ideology as practiced during the Civil War. It was, after all, it was, it was the... It was the Soviet Union which organized, which inspired and organized and directed and controlled the international brigades, and which, as a matter of fact, has, had its, has, has enjoyed its loyal, the loyalty of the brigades ever since. That is, the veterans of the brigades. 
Now you fought in the in the brigade. Oh yes, indeed I did. Uh, well, obviously you knew what you were doing, or did you know what you were doing at the time? I was a kid. I thought I. We always think we know what we're doing, don't we? I thought I knew what I was doing. Are you saying now that you regretted taking part? Well, no, I can't. That's much. That's too much of a simplification. Obviously, I was an anti-fascist, and that's something nothing to regret. And uh, and I and from that point of view, I can't regret it. But the, but the actual fighting. What were your experiences in the war? Was it a tough one for you? Oh, war. War is an unnatural condition for any man, and, and it was horrible. It wasn't tough. It was it was purgatory. I saw more of more of horror, uh, well, more than as far than far enough for any lifetime. When you came across, were you a member of any political party? Yes, I was a member of the Communist Party. Of course. And did you become disillusioned with it in Spain or afterwards? Well, as a matter of fact, I became very disillusioned, but I ascribed what I witnessed and experienced to uh, to the shortcomings of human beings. But I felt that the, you know, the, the basic, the basic struggle was still sacred, and so I kept on with it for another few years. But ultimately, came to my, came to my normal adult senses. When, in fact, did you leave Spain? Did you take part in this? In the in the. Uh... I took part in that final parade in the Diagonal. I got, as a matter of fact, I got a picture in my room of that final parade. And was that what kind of um, a day was that in your oh, memory? Oh, it was a wonderful day. It was it was a very moving day because we started out this parade in military formation and military order, and within a half a block, the formation was all broken up because the wonderful. The wonderful girls of Madrid rushed out. They, they filled the street with with, with flowers of Barcelona. Yeah. I mean, they filled the street with flowers. We were ankle deep in them. They rushed out. They hugged us. They kissed us. It was a most exciting, most exciting day. Right now, but at that stage in your own thinking, were you still committed to communism? I was really quite ambivalent. I, yes, I was sort of committed, but I was ambivalent. I had seen too much that was too bad. That was so much of a violation of everything I, I would naturally believe in. Could you, could you, could you particularize any events that? that, that oh well, certainly. Uh, uh, the 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 international brigades had a dual command. They had a military command and they had a political command. That political command was the outcome of was was uh, certainly uh, of Soviet inspiration and control. It was done because the Soviet the Soviet Union originally had political commissars because one they didn't trust their officers the officers tended to be white russians often and on the other hand they didn't they felt that the peasants weren't sufficiently politically developed to use their expression and the commissars were designed to develop them in any event this was a soviet it was a soviet institution i found it ugly because they controlled us in every way the political commissars the political commissars superseded in power the military commanders. They knew nothing. They made, they made like, they made like know-it-alls. They were intolerant. They were bigoted. They distrusted everybody. They were paranoid. Not all of them, believe me. You know, many of them were really great fellows, but a good number of them. Many of them. Many of them who speech to us endlessly about why we came to Spain when the first bullets 
whizzed by them. They were gone, never to return. They went on speaking tours of the. They went back to the United States and went on speaking tours. There were many. There were numbers of them, however, who were genuine men. Right, and this was for the fighting men. Was something you couldn't stomach? I couldn't stomach it. No, right. I couldn't stomach it. Did many people, independent-minded people, like think in that same way? One gets the impression that very few did. Very few did indeed. Although, although it may be a mistaken impression because there's certainly most of the guys who felt the way I did just uh, 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 removed themselves entirely from the organization, had nothing to do with it, and politically were never heard from again. Ed Landing, a dissenting voice in Barcelona. But for the rest of the veterans, as the weekend progressed, it was a case of renewing old friendships. Ruby Schneiderman was another American who had fought in the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, to which the decimated Irish contingent had become attached. I found him with Peter O'Connor, poring over an old photograph taken at the front. Oh, Schneiderman, that's me. Oh, when was that taken? In Harama, uh, Harama. Harama yeah. right. It uh, must have been... Uh, uh, yeah. It must have been in, in the lull in May. In, yeah, it was the right. lull when, between on, on April the 5th and when we got Chile relieved. Asia. April the 5th was the that's last right. major action that we had yeah. going over the top. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't wounded then. I was wounded he, on the 27th. He was uh, Reed from... He was a Canadian. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and uh, this is... Um, this is... Uh, McKelly, that's McKelly. Yeah, McKelly. In London, London... Uh, Eli, that's, that's Eli. Right. Beagleman, Beagleman, wasn't it? Eli Beagleman. Beagleman. Uh, that's right, Beagleman. Paul Burns. Oh, uh, yeah, Paul Burns, my company There's commander. He's a German. What's, I can't think of his name. He's, I can't think And he wanted to be with us all the time. Yes. The, the yeah, right. Well, I volunteered to go into with yeah. the Irish because I get along but so Jack well Chirai with Irish. should be here. There's Jack Yeah, Chirai. there's Jack. Jack. The Japanese I was telling you about. He wanted to be with the Irish all the time. And how did he come into Spain? Do you know? He was in New York. He was a he was a cook he was a in New cook. York. Uh, yeah. He was uh, worked for a good uh, big restaurant too. He yeah, that's a, right. Yeah, a great chef. Now this, uh, this is, uh, these two guys were lawyers in the National Lawyers Guild, which is a left wing uh, organization of lawyers. That's they were uh, both killed. That's, that's uh, uh, Max Krautheimer and Kelly, Mel yeah. Offsink. Yeah, Offsink. Yeah. And. Uh, there's someone there with his yeah. tie on, a tie on the back there. This man That's here. Johnny Power. Johnny Power. Yeah. Very yeah, right. correctly dressed, wasn't he? <laughs> Johnny, Johnny I don't see Joey Rayhill. Captain uh, on the Ebro front, you know. Yeah. I don't see Joey Whalen there. Uh, I don't know him. Joey That's Whalen Joe, just died two mean, months ago. Him? Oh, yes. Joe Reed. Yeah. Joe Reed, yeah. He's dead, Joey. He took yeah, part he, in the Second World I War. I think he's fact. dead, That's too. That's Bork from Liverpool. His name is Bork from Liverpool. That's, Him, uh, I that's Thompson, isn't it? Yes. Thompson. He yeah. was on the, he was in the, in the battalion headquarters. Yes, right. Type. Right, right, right. Wasn't he? But I can't. This guy no, I knew so I, well, but yeah, I can't remember true. his name. He was a name. great comrade, wasn't he? he was I love Paul. Comrade. I love Paul. Yeah. He was a great commander. Following an official dinner on Sunday afternoon, members of the Abraham Lincoln Battalion made a brief and token march and quietly dispersed. Their promise to return to Spain having been fulfilled. One final comment from another Irish veteran, Michael O'Riordan. Uh, I, f- I felt the same as everybody else who had been in Spain during the struggle here, that it was a vindication, if you like, of the over the 50 years, because uh, we weren't defeated 50 years ago, but we lost the war. You see, it wasn't our fault. The tremendous power of the, the Nazi Germany and fascist Italy 
uh, and of course the the uh, the work of the so-called democracies like Britain and France who strangled the Spanish Republic. You see, we didn't win the war, but now we're back here. There is no fascist celebrating the victory. We're celebrating the victory of the Spanish people, and they were a tremendous people, and they are a tremendous people, and it was a great privilege for us to be allowed to fight beside them because, remember this, look back 50 years, 52, 53 years ago, they were the only people in Europe who stood up against fascism at a time when fascism was on the ascendant all the time, becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. The Spanish people took them on, and we did our little bit to help the Spanish people. So that's the feeling you have of, well, you did a job and you did the best of your ability.